Welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Andy, Don, and Dude. The boys are back in town. That's right. It's Album Nerds Podcast time. I'm Dude. I got Andy and Don with me. Gentlemen, how you feeling this fine, fine day? Uh, yeah, I'm doing good, man. Doing good. You know, I'm just sitting here uh, wondering what we could possibly be talking about on the show today. Don, how about you? It's going to be crazy. Yes. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> a little bit. All right. So, uh, this is the Album Nerds Podcast. We like albums. We like talking to each other. I generally just like talking. So, today we have got a great show for you. We're going to pick three albums and go into those, answer a question, talk about what we learned, and then spin the wheel of musical destiny to find out what kind of albums we'll be talking about next time. This time, it's all about those one-hit wonders. One-hit wonders. It's a very common tale. That's what I'm talking about! So it was very important that we define this one. So we, we turned to, to Wikipedia, uh, who defined it. It's uh, a one-hit wonder is any entity that achieves mainstream popularity, often for only one piece or work, and becomes known among the general public solely for that momentary success. The term is most commonly used in regard to music performers with only one hit single that overshadows their other work. And for the purpose of this exercise, we, we just used the, the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 charts. So each of us chose an album from a one-hit wonder. Yeah, one-hit wonders. Lots of fun. A little harder than I thought. Because there's stuff you think is, but it isn't, because maybe they had another minor hit, or you just didn't know they had another hit. So uh, we did a lot of digging, all of us. I listened to Space Hog, Resident Alien. What was that song? Meantime? Oh, my gosh. In the meantime. I actually saw them. They were on this brotherly love tour in the early 2000s. It was, this is the weirdest bill ever. The Black Crows, Oasis, and Space Hog. Space Hog were the owners because they all had (laughs) brothers in their bands. Oh, wow. That's a a stretch. Um, (laughs) Bobby McFerrin, Simple Pleasures, the Don't Worry, Be Happy. I never listened to a whole album. It's weird. Hmm. I mean, Bobby McFerrin is a respected jazz guy. Go check it out. It's got some weird stuff on it and a lot of covers. The Dream Academy, their self-titled, Life in a Northern Town, Simple Minds, a couple of their albums, but Once Upon a Time with Don't You Forget About Me, surprisingly rocking. Hmm. Till Tuesday, Voices Carry, uh, that's Amy Mann. Hmm. I found out that she had briefly been in the band Ministry. Lots of interesting stuff. What? Yeah, Yeah. I know. I know. Very briefly. And she had a relationship with that lead singer dude. (laughs) The one I was closest on was Nazareth, Hair of the Dog. They're known for uh, Love Love Hurts. There we go. Oh, boy. So sorry I didn't pick that one, buddy. But yeah, so many others. Kaj Gugu, John Waits, The Breeders. Um, I would have done Blind Melon or The Darkness had I not already picked albums by those bands on previous episodes. How did you guys do? Well, I didn't have quite as big of a list as you this time, but... Uh, That's only half. I didn't even get into everything. <laughs> wow, man. Um, all right, I mentioned a couple. Dr. John, In the Right Place, at the Wrong Time. Uh, wrong Time. <laughs> very, very enjoyable record from the early 70s. Ram Jam, and their self-titled album, the track Black Betty. That was on my list, too. <laughs> I think I may have gotten enough of your listening list, yeah. Pretty fun. I want another one. I need a word. Uh, I remember the track Ring My Bell from the late 70s. Ring my bell. <laughs> <laughs> it was a pretty, pretty good record that was on, actually. She's had a couple other minor hits or 
not big enough hits, but successful songs on that record for her. Uh, well, I went back into my formative years. I remember listening a lot to uh, an album by Modern English called After the Snow, which features the song I Melt With You, which is kind of weird because it actually wasn't a hit at the time. Uh, I, I think it came out in 84 or 85, and then it, it didn't actually chart. Uh, at least in the United States until the 90s when it started showing up on like I Love the 80s compilations and stuff like that. Uh, but that's actually kind of like a solid sort of new wavy post-punk record. Uh, we had done uh, in the past that that record from The Laws, which which features There She Goes. That would have been a, a really good pick for this theme. And I was an early adopter of The Proclaimers. Do you remember The Proclaimers, The 500 Miles? You were on that before? Benny, Benny and June, they were they were on the you know the original Letterman show, and I'm like, whoa, the, here's these weird Scottish dudes and with glasses, and <laughs> yeah. and I really liked the the song, and so yeah, I had that that record, uh, Sunshine on Leith, which is uh, it's 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 solid, it's a it's a good record. All right, let's move on to the songs that we picked or the albums that we picked. You. Choo choo choose me. Our next guests are a uh, wonderful uh, twosome here to perform a, a fantastic song from their debut CD, Saint Elsewhere. Please welcome Gnarls Barkley. Speaking of David Letterman, a little clip from his show introducing my selection here. We are talking about the duo Niles Barkley and the record saying elsewhere came out in April of 2006. The big single is entitled Crazy. I like those strings. Kind of sounds like Rocky or something. <laughs> yeah, I've never considered that sounding like Rocky before, but yeah, I suppose. <laughs> Okay, so Crazy peaked at number two on the Billboard Hot 100. It was also a big hit in the UK, becoming the first UK single to top the charts on downloads alone. So this came out in 2006, just when that kind of like internet sales of music was really becoming a thing. And this album took advantage of that. So Yeah, probably a lot of iTunes purchases for 99 cents. Word up, definitely. Uh, so, Niles Barkley is a duo comprised of CeeLo Green, who, like most notably before this, was a member of the Goody Mob, which is like a hip-hop collective from Atlanta, and uh, producer Danger Mouse, who at this time was a fairly unknown commodity. He had done this cool uh, mixtape called The Grey Album, which was like a mashup of Jay-Z and the Beatles. It was pretty popular on the internet, but didn't have much credibility yet in the uh, music industry. Um, so my three words to describe this record are crazy cartoon creation going back to the alliteration. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, this record, I really enjoyed when it came out. You know, it was kind of fun going back to it uh, after all these years. It's like psychedelic funk soul pop, I guess I would say. It's very high energy, kind of like a spastic Colon sound. Oh, <laughs> that's just a colon. Yeah, that's what I was feeling throughout the uh, the album. Yeah. <laughs> Lyrically, I, I, this record feels very much like a therapy session. I would say, and especially you know, CeeLo does all the uh, all the writing and the singing, and uh, he's working through some demons on this record. I would say uh, a lot of the a lot of the tracks deal with kind of like this eccentric star persona that. Uh, 
I imagine is at least a portion of his personality. Let's play another cut from the record. This is the closer for last time. When was the last time Yeah, so that one felt, uh, you know, like a more sort of traditional kind of love seduction number done in a, a, a dancey way. The the three words I chose to describe the album are psychedelic dance party, because, uh, you know, I think that's mostly what it, what it is. Most of the tracks are danceable and it's, uh, you know, just uh, the sonic experience is very psychedelic, right? There's a lot of little elements here and there thrown in, little subtle things that you discover when you're listening on headphones. And that's what the, the psychedelic experience is, is all about. Yeah, I, I think um, uh, CeeLo Green's vocals are just, I, I think, perfect for for this experience. And I can't really imagine it, you know, with with another vocalist. You know, it just seems to kind of match this kind of you know crazy um, or you know sort of wacky uh, experience. Um, and he is, you know, it is a unique voice because you know he certainly has vocal talent. You know, I mean, he has range. You know, he can do a lot of things with his voice, but it also just has he has like this gruff, uh, a unique style. <laughs> to me to me there was no variation it was just the same mm. the same voice in every song without i don't know the delivery and crazy is fine but then when it's the same exact delivery in every single song i just mm. didn't think it was that's true captivating in any way i i would have liked to have heard some different voices some pushing it at times or going lower at times but it was just the same same drone for me. I don't know, man. I mean, I feel like he really explores a lot. Like he does, like these little voices. He has conversations with himself. He has a pretty big range. He does like rapping as well as some like talk singing. And I, I think he's a fairly adept singer. Maybe he's not like a great singer, but he does a lot with his voice. I feel like. I think my problem is comparing. Like this to me is just lazy outcast it's it just has no personality for me i don't know that was my i, I was very surprised that i wasn't like into it and i i listened to it i don't know five times but i just couldn't catch a wave <laughs> couldn't catch a wave so you guys uh keep keep talking and convince me well, um, you did mention the sort of the outcast comparison. I mean, that's kind of where, where I went as well. And I, you know, I still haven't, other than the, the record that we did, I, I still haven't really explored outcast much, but, um, this one seemed a bit more accessible to me. Maybe it's just because it's maybe less hip hoppy, mm-hmm. you know, the, than, than outcast. Um, although it's still, like the production of it still feels very much like a hip hop record, you know, with the, you know, the, the low end and, and all that. This just feels, I mean, record to me very much feels like a product of like the internet age. Like it feels like a very digitally composed True, yes. record and like we're exploring all these new things are possible at this time. And it yep. feels to me very inorganic. Yeah, it's true. Yes. That maybe that's part of the issue. Maybe I'm not connecting to it because it doesn't feel analog at all. Yeah. Plus, I had aged out when this was popular. I was not, I mean, I heard the song, obviously, but I was not really seeking that. The style at music. that point, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, we'll put another from the record. This is kind of in the middle of the record, it's called Just a Thought. So, just what do I do with all the aggression? Well, I'll try everything but suicide. Yeah, I mean, I did connect with this because that's how I felt. <laughs> 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 I was listening to the album. Oh, jeez. <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't connect with uh, who cares a few tracks well, later. That, that was on, that was possible. <laughs> um, it's yeah. I think you you touched on it, Andy. The internet age, the length of albums, the length of songs. It was just a little much for me at times. I love some of the Danger Mouse production. I love the sounds underneath. It's just I was um, feeling more distracted by the vocals than yeah than uh, connecting to them. But that song explores themes of introspection, self-reflection, mental struggles. I think that's kind of the thing throughout this record. Mm -hmm. You didn't find that like effective? No, like I think didn't feel like sharing. It felt more like just finding a thread to fit the songs. You know, I I don't know. It 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 just it didn't feel like CeeLo was really opening up to me. You know, (laughs) which is what I need. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think they were trying to sell this rock star. Troubled rock star persona. I don't necessarily oh, okay. know if it was coming from CeeLo, but that's what they wanted to project, sort of. And maybe that was the problem. Wanting to project, wanting to be instead of just being, you know? Yeah. Uh, the three words I used to describe this album were not crazy enough. <laughs> okay. It just, it wasn't dangerous in any way. It wasn't, the like I said, the production and the music is really cool. I just feel like more could have been done vocally with more voices, with more weird sound effects and stuff that would have told a tale of craziness and 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 uh, introspection and questioning yourself, you know. But could have been worse too. I've heard worse. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. No, yeah, so uh, Niles Barkley would go on to release one more record. And they are supposedly working on their third, but they've been saying that for about five years now. So we'll see if that ever comes to light. But yeah, once again, the record is Saint Elsewhere, Niles Barkley. If you haven't heard the full thing, I think yeah, that's an interesting listen, as long as you're not the dude. I liked it. <laughs> The five bucks box, it rocks, it rocks. It rocks for a meal with lots and lots. That's Charles Barkley. It rocks for a box. And I would, I would take that over, over Charles Barkley. It's terrible. Terrible. I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. If you're enjoying the show, and we hope you are, do us a solid and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Maybe we made you laugh, or you discovered an album you enjoy. Leaving a review keeps the show going and helps other music fans find us. Yes, I love technology, but not as much as you, you see. But I still love technology. Uh, the best part is, Andy thought that was the artist that Don was presenting today. <laughs> Yes. So uh, my pick for a one-hit wonder is uh, Gary Newman. The album's called The The Pleasure Principle, released in September 1979. Uh, And the big hit here in the United States was a song called Cars. So this song uh, was actually inspired by uh, an incident uh, when uh, uh, Newman was driving. Uh, apparently, he had annoyed the people in the um, in the car in front of him. He was uh, probably singing that really loud. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when the 
when they got to a traffic light, I guess these people got out of the car and were basically coming to, coming to get him. Uh, and so he uh, uh, managed to escape uh, in his car. And so the song is basically about the idea that in this modern world, you know, you can feel kind of safe and protected uh, in your in your automobile. Um, also, interestingly, this song was uh, written on a bass guitar, the only song that Newman has ever uh, composed uh, on a bass guitar. Usually he writes on a, on a piano, but so those, you know, the he came up with that, and then I guess the, the song came easy afterwards. Uh, so the, the Pleasure Principle is, uh, well, it's the first album under the name Gary Newman uh, as, a, as a solo album, but uh, actually he had done two albums under the name Two Boy Army, which were basically also solo albums but the the record label had had fought him on that and wanted to do two boy army because they had some i guess legacy in in punk rock you know they had kind of started out as a sort of a a, a, a melodic punk rock group Gary Newman was born Gary James Webb in London in 1958. Uh, he's an English musician uh, who faced intense hostility uh, from critics and fellow musicians early in his career, um, but has since come to be regarded as a kind of an electronic music pioneer. So the, the three words I, I chose to describe the album are machines have souls. So I think, you know, stereotypically with, with synth pop, it, it, it can feel sort of cold and, and lifeless. Plus it's, you know, particularly early synth pop, a lot of it is about like technology and robots and science fiction and, and stuff like that. But I, I think what's cool about this album is it actually does have live drumming. A guy named Cedric Sharpley, I think does a really good job uh, on the album. Uh, and also the most of the bass guitar is is also live and, and traditional. Uh, and so I, I think that sort of sustains some some life and, and pulse uh, through, throughout the album. Uh, let's hear a little more. Uh, here's one called Me. It's actually abbreviated M-E, which is Mechanical Engineering. That's not the song. Love that tune. I love that song. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we don't have more dance music on the show. Don, I was going to ask you if the drums were real because yeah. I think that makes a huge difference. I'm not a big electronic music guy, but one of the things I don't that I think offends me the most about it is the fake drums yeah the drum machine stuff or the recycled beat stuff so i did connect with this uh that particular song i think i had heard before i'd never listened to this whole album i was only aware of cars and you know it was one of those kind of yeah early days of mtv sort of things you know i didn't think much about it so the the song me the lyrics depict a person with mechanical eyes experiencing a sense of detachment and longing for human connection, which kind of goes into what those stereotypes about mm -hmm. electronic music, especially in the early days, they, they did focus more on the mechanical side of things. His vocals are cold and detached, kind of contrasting the human and mechanical elements. Um, but it's a great song, and I think this dystopian vision of mechanized future was with the emotional consequences to come was really what we thought about in the 80s, about the future and technology. We couldn't have foreseen that instead it's become people just shitting on each other with comments instead of <laughs> it being a cold, bleak thing. Instead, it's this very volatile landscape. Mm -hmm. um, it's just interesting how different it turned out 
at least so far, until the machines take over. The three <laughs> words I used to describe this album were rockin' computer nerd. Um, it really was the analog bits of it and the bass and, and, and elements that made this sound really cool. I mean, I really dug into this album. I'm going to keep listening to it. I'm going to see if I can find a copy on vinyl. Um, I see why he is considered an architect of synth pop and electronic derived music. Shockingly interesting to me. And maybe it'll... <laughs> I'm shocked. My, open yeah. my mechanical eyes a little bit to, uh, especially this era of, of synthesized music. Yeah, one thing um, Newman was big on, and I, and I guess what, what appeals to me is just like those sustained like synth notes. You know, he doesn't... Yeah, he, you know he's not like Rush going. Doo, 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 doo. It's just like, <laughs> and but just that like eerie sort of dramatic sound um, that he gets out of the the synths, um, which which I like. It's almost like a drone style at times. It's like, bah, nah, nah. yeah, yeah. I mean, not completely dissimilar to uh, Flock of Seagulls. Mm -hmm. They you know had the same sustained synth notes. Uh, they were one, you know on the one hit wonder list as well. Right, well, let's uh, let's hear another track. This is Observer. Yeah, so my three words to describe this record are Henry Ford would be proud. <laughs> to me, this feels a little bit like a, a bit of a production line going out on this record here. Surprisingly, because I'm, I'm definitely a fan of Gary Newman. I've definitely enjoyed a lot of his records over the years. And this one, for whatever reason, didn't really resonate with me as much as I thought it would. I enjoyed some of the singles, like the Cars track I enjoy quite a bit. But I really... I almost thought I was cars was starting up three or four times listening through the record before you actually get to that point. There's so many tracks that are in that same sonic palette, I guess I would say, like similar sounding instruments and either almost similar compositions. And this is something that's not uncommon in electronic music at all. I think it's repetition is a big part of what's going on. But I think what I liked most about it coming back to it this time was his lyrics. Man, he really... Yes. He creates like this dystopian sort of world almost that he's living in and kind of like, especially that track, Observer, where he's talking about like watching people and uh, kind of judging them from afar. Like, I found that pretty compelling. I think he's pretty consistent throughout the record with that sort of perspective. And it's one of those albums that I think really does feel like the album artwork, where he is kind of like an outsider looking in on this little creation he's made, um, which I really like that whole idea. And I, th I think that I 100% bought in on. I just feel like sonically, a lot of the ideas were kind of just being moved around from track to track, which, you know, wasn't super interesting after 45 minutes. Musically, that did sound a lot like Cars in, in parts. Uh, so I, I agree with you there, Andy. And I was going to interject with the difference is the lyrics. And you said it uh, very well. That is usually not important in electronic music. Yeah. It's just the one line repeated over and over again. And the lyrics here are very, well, let's say Don-ish. I mean, this is, this <laughs> is English, you know, sort of mopey, I'm an outsider kind of music but just with a, a different skin so uh, don were you into this no not really okay i mean I, I knew of gary newman you know just from mtv and vh1 and, and and stuff like that but yeah when i was into electronic stuff i was even into like omd who was you know kind of came out around this the same time but yeah gary newman wasn't really uh on my radar until maybe like the, the last 10 years 
I mean, I feel bad, you know, labeling him as a one-hit wonder. Uh, technically, he's not in the the UK. the The album before this one actually broke through and, and hit number one in in England. And there's a song called "Our Friends Electric," which which hit number one. But he's had a long career, and every album kind of built from the last. You know, he didn't just keep doing the same thing over and over. Uh, and now, if you hear him, he's much heavier. It, it's a industrial sound but it's still it's a lot of that dystopian kind of stuff so i I definitely recommend you know his most recent albums if if you want to check him out okay so that was gary newman with the pleasure principle the pleasure principle Principle. Uh, uh. (laughs) that was unscripted yeah (laughs) excuse me i'd like to ask you a few questions it's that time on the show when we ask ourselves a question. Uh, so this week, what's your one-hit wonder? I guess we mean like, what's your what's a success that you had and maybe didn't replicate? I don't know. <laughs> My one shining moment of glory. Yeah. This is a very personal question for me. It came at age six. That was my my peak in life. I uh, I went to the circus with my family. I entered a coloring contest. I had to color a large picture of the circus. It was very accurate with my coloring, saving all the lines. Nice. Submitted it. I won. They called me up on stage. I got to show my drawing to the entire audience, which was like probably the biggest I'd been to in my life at that time. So it felt, it felt it, like. Is huge. that what inspired you to become a graphic designer? And now I'm a famous colorer. No. <laughs> <laughs> Do you still have that picture? I wish I did. Uh, I can picture it. Post it. I'd love to post it on the socials. Oh, I know. I'll I'll try to recreate it. See, he easily could have just done what no one's going to know, Don. (laughs) Oops. Just wrinkle up the coloring book paper a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, you know, just thinking back, like, so that I was the winner of all these, but I didn't really, I never got any prize. I just got the recognition. (laughs) It's kind of a ripoff. You sure your parents didn't take it? (laughs) (laughs) Like stage parents. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Andy's story kind of made me think about more childhood victories. And I uh, one summer I entered into a big wheel race contest at the local grocery store, Hinky wow. Dinky. <laughs> Hinky and, Dinky. Uh, wow. Hinky Dinky. Um, Had a lot of fun with that name as a kid. Hinky Stinky, Stinky Dinky, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's right. <laughs> <laughs> Very. <laughs> that dinky is super ripe. Um, <laughs> so the the big wheel I had was a Spider-Man machine. It had two big back wheels and you had these sticks on the side to move the back wheels instead of turning the front wheel. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. So you, could, you could spin out really, you know, you could do skids and stuff. Yeah. So uh, they had this course set up in the parking lot at Hinky Dinky and... Uh, <laughs> we we did the the race and i was against a bunch of punks on normal big wheels and smoked them because i could i could make those turns i don't remember what i won but it was a saturday morning i just remember thinking it was really awesome plus getting to take my big wheels somewhere and ride it on an unusual (laughs) place and um but yeah it was uh that was a good day that's probably the only time I've won a sporting uh, <laughs> event. <laughs> wow. That's uh, cool, man. Well, apparently, uh, 
you know, my biggest successes were in childhood as well. Uh, although this one, I believe, was was ninth grade. Might take a second to explain. In gym class, uh, it was like when we were doing basketball, and I got you know I, I had to come up and and help the the coach demonstrate you know some dribble move or, or something. Uh, and he called up a, another kid who was this. Uh, this kid that just did not like me, kind of like a little guy, but like a tough little guy. And for some reason, he just, you know, hated me. He wasn't a bully because he was tiny, you know, um, <laughs> like half the size of me, but he was still just an asshole to me all the time. He was jealous of you. Maybe, maybe. Uh, but anyway, so we were like demonstrating this move. And then at some point, he's got to kind of pass me the ball. And he kind of, when he did it, he just like launched it at me. Like, I, I think <laughs> expecting me to be like unprepared and, and for it yeah. to hit me in the, the face. Um, uh, and I just nonchalantly caught it like, uh, just nice. nice and easily. And I knew that that crushed him. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So that's, you know, that's of all the things I've accomplished in my life. That's, that's my favorite. <laughs> what was, what was, what was that bitch's name? Uh, Jeff. Eat it, Jeff. Jeff. <laughs> Look, look who's got a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, what was your one hit wonder? Uh, let us know. Facebook, Instagram, threads, oh, uh, and of course, uh, Discord, albumnerds.com slash Discord. I see. The boys are back in town. So I went with one hit wonder group, Thin Lizzy, best known for The Boys Are Back in Town which I'm sure y'all have heard at sporting events, at biker bars, and pretty much anywhere dudes are flexing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well said. So yeah, uh, Thin Lizzy, the album is Jailbreak from 1976, the bicentennial here in the US of A. But these fellas are from Ireland. You wouldn't know it. But why don't we uh, jump in and listen to my favorite song on the album, Cowboy Song. All right, so uh, band from Ireland, super Irish dudes, a lot of uh, Irish folk in their in their sound. Did a song about being a cowboy. Did a pretty good job too. Yeah, I, I think you know cowboy movies, western films from the U.S. were very popular, so people knew how to paint the picture. Love the guitar riffs on that song. Love uh, Phil's Phil Linet. I love his voice, and I love that delivery. It's just it's got swagger in it. it Sounds like uh, a guy who's bucking Broncos. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the album Jailbreak was Thin Lizzy's sixth album. That's a long way to go to get uh, yeah. your one hit wonder from uh, Boys Are Back in Town. So their earlier albums were more steeped in Irish tradition. Uh, those elements were there. I think this one was their last chance. The record label was going to drop them. So they, they, uh, Phil kind of took over songwriting duties and they made an effort to, uh, be more accessible to U.S. audiences and, and such. Uh, the three words I used to describe this album were a groundwork for greatness. So as I said, unusual for a one hit wonder to take six albums to get there, 
but they built their sound. They were a real band. Also unusual for a one-hit wonder to lay the groundwork and have influence on a burgeoning music scene. Some of the stuff they were doing really influenced and shaped hard rock, the dueling guitars, how that made its way into metal. But I first discovered them really because, I mean, I knew the boys were back in town, but uh, Anthrax on the Sound of White Noise album, I think it was a bonus track, they did a version of the Cowboy song. And I fell in love with the song, and it led me to to Thin Lizzy. It's cool. All right, so why don't we get into a song that's a little bit more Irish in its subject matter, but still rocks pretty hard. This is Emerald. Yeah, my three words to describe this record are thin, not scrawny. I feel like this was really a pretty meaty record. There's a lot going on here outside of just kind of the rough and rowdy persona this band had. Yeah, I love the, the dual, the dueling guitar sound, I guess, or the dual guitar sound. That track there, the closer, Emerald, I thought was awesome. Like, I wish that track was like five minutes longer, and maybe the record was like another five minutes longer too, or another 10 minutes longer. You don't say that very often. Yeah, I think it was just getting good as it, as it was, uh, coming to a close. Yeah, songs like Warriors and uh, Jailbreak I thought were really good. And the single is still, the single's pretty fun, you know? Yeah, I, I like The Boys Are Back in Town. I didn't used to. I think I kind of was eye-rolly at it because yeah. I think mostly because I saw uh, Uncle Jesse on Full House oh, playing yeah. that song. And I was just like, good God. <laughs> so that kind of ruined it for me for a while. But yeah, it's a good song. It's a cool tune. And, and I guess originally it was going to be about guys coming back from Vietnam, but the record label wanted to dial that back, Soften so it just became bit. about boys, you know, yeah. like a reunion of high school friends or whatever. It's a very universal message, but um, yeah, I was impressed. Like, there's a lot of intricacies that happen throughout, um, especially with the guitars that I thought were pretty interesting. Um, the only thing I didn't really care for was it was a track Romeo. Uh, <laughs> I like it that song. Yeah. It was way too poppy for me. Just, it always stuck out as not really fitting with the rest. I like the sitting all on his Oneo, Romeo, poor Romeo sitting out on his Oneo. It you sounded liked that lyric. I thought it oh sounded kind of it sounded kind of Irishy, you know, like Yeah. Oh boy, oh, you know, it just had this <laughs> I don't know. I it thought does. It was, I thought it was cool. I didn't I didn't make the Irish I didn't know the Irish connection, but still Oneo, come on. It's a nursery rhyme. Oh, uh, yeah. There are moments where I definitely heard other bands, um, like the Rolling Stones at times, they kind of have some of that, that stompy swagger. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were a couple of riffs that I thought sounded very Kiss-ish at times. Totally agree. Totally agree. It's like Kiss with good lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know? Better lyrics. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I'll just throw in, we've talked about the dual guitars. The story I heard was that they had a lot of turnover in the band over the years. They formed in like 69. And Phil was sick of that, so he hired two guitar players. So if one left, they'd still have someone that knew all the stuff. That's like a backup. So, they had, so then they had two <laughs> guitarists, and then they started doing the dual stuff. That's the story. Might, might be true, may not be true. <laughs> all right, why don't we uh, listen to another track? This one is Warriors. Yeah, so Warriors was uh, written by uh, Lina and, and Gorham, and so the, the Warriors refer to, like, heavy drug takers, which I thought was 
an interesting, um, you know, way of looking at it. You know, so somebody like Jimi Hendrix, you know, he's a war, he knows what he's getting into and just goes <laughs> for it, which is, uh, yeah, not how you, you typically hear, um, you know, drugs talked about. Well, especially since he then, uh, had his own heroin struggles and, uh, hepatitis and illnesses and, uh, died at an early age in 1986 or so. So yeah, maybe should have looked at it a little differently, Phil. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Didn't end too well for Jimi Hendrix either. So the, the words I chose, uh, for the album are, uh, give it a second as in actually give it a second listen. So, you know, the first time listening through it, you know, just kind of sounded like just sort of typical rock and roll, you know, good or whatever. And then, yeah, once I listened to it a second time, I don't know. I, all of a sudden I just like discovered the, the magic, you know, and, and I don't really, uh, you know, I have a, a hard time, I think, talking about this record because I'm, I mean, I, I'm not sure what makes it good, mm-hmm. <laughs> but just like every song just hits the right chords and notes and it's just a good sounding record, you know, and I, I really, you know, kind of fell in love with it and it, I guess it lives kind of somewhere in between that glam and metal reminded me, I guess also because of the, the two lead guitars of like Judas Priest, yeah. Yeah. just, just a little bit lighter. Um, and I imagine Thin Lizzy influenced Judas Priest a, a little bit or, you know, all those, those English metal bands. But yeah, you know, I, it's, uh, I'm really surprised, you know, I, <laughs> good album. <laughs> surprised that you liked it. <laughs> I am surprised that I liked it so much. Yeah. 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 I listened to their discography and, and this one is touted as their best. And I think it is. I'm tempted here, gentlemen, because I do think this was influential. I do think this is a, a, especially being a representation or representative of Irish rock and roll. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to have to nominate it and let you guys have an opportunity to shoot me down. <laughs> Album Nerds Hall of Fame. Kind of make you guys uh, uncomfortable here. So I say yes. It's it's influence, it's longevity, and the fact that they were a one-hit wonder band that put in so much time, made so many records and so much music. This being the high point, got to do it. Your turn to say no. Well, I was really anticipating Don maybe nominating Gary Newman for the A-Nos, I thought about it. I thought about it. I was not anticipating this. Um, hmm. Sometimes, sometimes a vote is more us a vote for the record and more a vote of like confidence in the person who's nominating it, you know? <laughs> I guess. True, true. I, I, did, I did that for one of Don's picks where I was like, yeah, I think it's a good record and I trust that you think it's a better record. So maybe I'll get to that point at some point. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was the band, I think. Yeah, yes. exactly. That was the band, which I've come to really like that record in, in the time in between. So it paid um, off. And yeah. Thin, Thin Lizzy was, if this helps at all, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I believe, in 2012. Yeah, I don't doubt their influence. It's really just the specific nine songs. I'll say yes. I'll say yes. Woo! I'm feeling generous today. Ha-cha-cha. Oh. Yeah, I'm going to say yes as well. Um, Donnie Lakey. Yes. Uh, you know, even beyond, I mean, I know that they're an influential band, but just personally, I, I just, I mean, I was really excited by the record. That doesn't always happen. Unexpectedly, against all odds, Thin Lizzy, <laughs> Jailbreak, also a great song, the title track. Uh, 1976, Album Nerds Hall of Fame member. All right, so we 
went through a, a long list of one-hit wonders over the years, and we, um, you know, found a, a few decent albums here to to talk about. What did we learn? Well, I mean, I think the main thing I want to talk about here is our definition of a one-hit wonder, and I would like to petition to change it. Okay. I think it's. A, I think. Tell me if I'm wrong, guys. Is it, it's kind of a derogatory term from my perspective. If you were to call somebody, even if they were a musician, if I were to call Don a one-hit wonder, would you say that was a compliment, or am I taking a jab at you? One-hit wonders. It's a very common tale. Yeah, it's derogatory for the most part. See, I, I feel like that definition has changed over time because of the accessibility of music, where Blind Melon, as an example, one-hit wonder, but being a fan of theirs, I know I knew that there was a base of people that loved their records and loved more about them than that one song. Mm-hmm. So I think as music has become more discoverable, one hit wonder just means that they had one major mainstream hit, but that doesn't that is no longer derogatory to me. We did have a little bit of a battle uh, leading into the show. We let Wikipedia make the rules for us. <laughs> as we always do <laughs> i think it's important to note like when i hear the word hit you know i'm just talking about commercial uh, appeal so it's not really a comment on you know art you know how good right. their, their art is um and you know all three you know we the three of us found you know good art uh on these albums you know you're crazy mm-hmm. <laughs> i think uh i mean the part i get caught up on like Especially, you know, Gary Newman and then Lizzie, they're such influential artists. And when you hear the music covered all the time and you can hear similarities in modern day music, to just call them like kind of like a a one off, you know, that they just had this fleeting moment of, of brilliance and everything after that was shit, I think is just totally missing the entire history. I don't think it's about brilliance. I think it's about a song being a hit. I mean, so many of the one-hit wonders I looked at on the list, like the Macarena, Mambo Number no. 5, yeah. that kind of stuff, that's just a bunch of people liked something. And those same people may have liked Thin Lizzy because it was a catchy tune and they didn't dig in or, or get into well, what okay. was underneath. Well, I, I don't want to judge anybody without listening to their whole record, but I think there is a subclass of one-hit wonders who really are wonders that this happened to them like they were right place right time kind of thing had the right beat was a universal enough of a message all the stars aligned and this thing came out and they made a bajillion dollars and that they faded into obscurity afterward we needed the broader definition or this show would have sucked (laughs) i agree i agree that's i totally agree i just wish we could classify those two groups separately and and not lump them all together i think that's a big mistake okay one hit wonders and one hit blunders. Mm, that's not bad. <laughs> right, Let's yeah. break those out. And that's one to grow on. I'm your density. I mean, your destiny. All right, boys and girls, it is again once that. What the fuck am I saying? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. <laughs> All right. All right, boys and girls. It is once again that time where we decide what fate has in store for us next week. Um, but we are going to circumvent fate here and take Justin into our own hands, as we like to do every few months or so, and take a look at some of the new releases. What's popping? What's cracking? What's new with the kids? Oh, God. What's new with the kids? You know I'm going to pick a band that's been around for 20 years, <laughs> or 30. 
<laughs> be as it may, as long as it's a new release, it qualifies. So yeah, next week we're going to be talking about new releases that have come out in the first half of 2023. We'll resume our usual programming after that. All right, Don, you and I got some digging to do. Yeah. Mr. Up With The Times, Andy, is going to be fine. I'm sure he has a list of 300 albums so far that he's enjoyed <laughs> this year. And you and I are going to have to start reaching deep into that barrel and see what we can dig up. See what Gary Newman's working on. Yeah, there you go. Well, Culture Wall just uh, came out with an album, oh so we can do him again. <laughs> All right, what's your favorite new release? Who's your favorite one-hit wonder? What else are you listening to? Let us know. Join fellow album nerds on Discord at albumnerds.com slash Discord. You can email us at podcast at albumnerds.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and threads at Album Nerds. Please subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com slash support. Thank you so much for joining us on the Album Nerds Podcast. We'll catch you next time with some new releases for Q1 and 2 of 2023. It's all business. Are we going to do... Uh, oh, yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> Something I think Andy had a stroke before the... <laughs> As soon as we went to the wheel thing, reboot. <laughs> I'll make you crazy. I'll make you crazy. CeeLo, you're fired. <laughs>